had said, my name is Rihanna, and I, yes, used to be an intern here and also worked here for a short period of time, so if I haven't met you yet, hello, it's nice to meet you. Um, I, I wanted to start out with a couple things. One is I've actually been sick the last couple weeks, and so if I like cough or sneeze at some point, I'm really, really sorry. I know my voice sounds a little bit funny. Um, the second thing I kind of wanted to point out is the fact that I know you may notice that I'm a woman and that I'm preaching on Father's Day, which for some of you, that might be a little bit weird, right? It might be a little bit abnormal. But then, I just want to remind you that John always preaches on Mother's Day, and so you should be good after you sing through that little bit. But, in all seriousness, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, this is actually a picture of me and my dad when I was really little, and I'm a super grateful daughter to an awesome daddy, and so um, if you are a dad or an uncle or a grandpa or somebody who plays a father figure in someone's life, thank you for all that you do. Um, I know I'm a grateful daughter, so thank you for all that you do. Um, another fun little caveat is not only is a woman preaching on Father's Day, but I'm actually preaching about feelings, because we know that all men want to talk about their feelings on Father's Day. So very, very fun. We're really excited. And so speaking of emotions, I don't know if you've seen the movie Inside Out, but I am a huge fan of this movie. It's so good. And if you haven't seen it, I'm really sorry for you because you have missed out totally. It's amazing. Super, super good. Second is I might ruin some of the movie storyline for you this morning, so I really do apologize for that, but it's just so good I couldn't pass it up. Um, so if you haven't heard of Inside Out, basically what it is, is it's, it's this movie done by Pixar, and it's about this little girl named Riley and her family who move from the state of Minnesota to San Francisco, California, and she's 11 years old when this happens. And what's really particularly brilliant about this movie is that it actually includes five really central characters, which are Riley's emotions, joy, anger, sadness, fear, and disgust. And so during this story, Riley has moved with her parents, and thing is, Joy, I mean, actually, I, you know, I was a children's director here for a while, so I always like to have, you know, little fun things. So Joy, we have our first character here from the movie. I'm just, she falls over a lot, so I'm just going to maybe set her here. Um, Joy has kind of been in control most of Riley's life. She's kind of been running the main control center of her brain, but when Riley and her family moved, she kind of undergoes a lot of, a lot of turmoil because of this move. And Joy and her, this other character, Sadness, so let me find her in this bag now, Sadness, they end up going on this journey to the recesses of Riley's brain to be able recover, to recover her long-term memories because they're kind of in danger because things are so disheveled. Um, however, um, when, yeah, so, sorry about that. Um, as, as they're on this journey, right, there's actually um, a moment where, I'm going to actually show you a little clip so you can kind of see it if you haven't seen this movie yet. There's this moment where it's only anger, fear, and disgust who are now, here we'll pull out the rest of the characters, anger right here, we've got fear right here, and we've got disgust, look at, she's, she's no fun, right? They're actually in the control center of Riley's brain and joy and sadness are gone. I'm actually going to show you a scene. It's really fun because Riley and her parents are at the dinner table with her family. And this is kind of fun because they're actually poking fun at this stereotypical male and female emotions. And so I'm going to go ahead and let you watch this part here. And what's really cool about it is that, well, discuss, 
sadness and fear have never really had an opportunity to express themselves in the way that they are now because joy and, joy and um, sadness are gone. So I'll let you go ahead and watch that. Okay, so you get a little piece of what this looks like here, right? Um, and so actually, I can really relate to Riley, especially as a young girl, if my mom's here, and she remembers probably when I was little, I would sometimes have this thing that would happen where I would just actually start crying, and she'd go, honey, what's wrong? And I'd say, mom, I'm crying, and I just don't know why. And it became this huge joke in my home, and really what I was experiencing was a lot of what even Riley's experiencing here, Right? She is not really knowing how to allow these emotions, these different emotions besides joy to express themselves. Was, you know, when in those times in my life, was I feeling sad, exhausted, maybe hungry, maybe tears of joy? I don't know, whatever it may be, but I didn't have the emotional maturity to be able to know what it looked like to express what I was feeling. And so you might be wondering, okay, why am I talking about emotions today? Why am I showing these clips of Inside Out? Well, I believe that this conversation is really important, and not only important, but vital for our personal walk with Jesus in our lives, as, as well as corporately as a body of believers who profess the name of Jesus Christ. You see, what I hope to share this morning is that our emotions are really good, and that they're a healthy and normal part of life. They are a part of being human and made in the likeness of God. Because emotions, they are a part of God's nature. And I actually have this thing up here. It says Imago Dei, which is just this really like fancy, fun way of saying that we are made in the likeness of God. We're the image of God. And so this is a reminder to us that God created us good and that his creation is a reflection of him, that we are made in his image. And so, whether or not we would like to admit it or not, we all feel, we feel pretty deeply, and there's no person who can avoid that. No person can avoid the fact that when you live, you're going to feel emotions. I would also like to suggest this morning that there are actually no good or quote-unquote bad emotions. The complexity of what we feel in the day-to-day is not wrong, and when we feel happy, it's not any more noble than when we feel sad. And in fact, this is much of the mission of the movie of Inside Out, to teach children as well as adults that it is not wrong to feel sad. And that in fact, if we feel sadness, it is possible that there could be even be greater joy. There could be connection in humanity. I would like to point out that many of us potentially consciously or unconsciously carry around in our head an idea about emotions or feelings that's potentially untrue. Maybe some of us, including myself, try to muster up the strength to feel a certain way when I just don't because I feel like what I'm currently feeling is wrong or sinful. And I think anger, fear, and disgust are great examples of this, right? So let's really begin to dig a little deeper into the nature of God and whether or not we really think that he has emotions. As I've been preparing for this, I've been asking myself this question, does God really feel Is the God that I know, a far-off and distant God, unaffected by his creation, or is he actually moved by it? Does God really feel like even sometimes how maybe humans feel? And do we, his creation, ever actually cause him to feel? Well, let's take a look at a couple Old Testament scriptures. So we're going to start with Zephaniah 3.17. It says, 
He will take great delight in you, talking about God. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This is a really beautiful passage, and and I think to myself, okay, what emotions are jumping out to me? I hear that God is potentially delighted, that he's feeling affectionate. He's feeling um, maybe sense of of loving. Um, He's feeling inspired. He's feeling grateful. I mean, there's so much scripture here that is, there's so many emotions in this, in this scripture that's showing us that, that God, right, his creation has caused him to respond in a way where he actually rejoices with singing. He responds in that way. Now, what about in Hosea, when God is confronted with the sin of Israel and its idolatry? So if you haven't read the book of Hosea, basically it's a big metaphor for how God's chosen people the ones he loves so deeply, keep putting their time and energy and affection towards other gods besides God. So we hear here in Hosea 11 that God states, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. And so here, we hear that God maybe at one point felt betrayed or rejected, we hear that he had anger, right? Not only like anger, but fierce anger. But what's amazing is he says that he will not carry out his fierce anger, right? And that he's feeling compassionate. He's feeling compassion towards his his creation. And while we know that God's character is constant and unchanging, and while we do not serve by any means a fickle God, We see in these passages that God has the ability to be moved by his creation and that he feels. We asked ourselves the question, does God feel? And I really think that he does. And just like how a beautiful piece of music has the ability to raise chills on our arms, or when a baby laughs, like earlier I heard Jane just giggling back there, or when a child laughs, like you just feel that joy because their joy is so strong. Or, or maybe when we feel anxiety before a test or a big project at work. Or maybe we feel, you know, kind of that anxious heartbeat. These emotions we feel, they are part of God's unique image and creativity reflected in us. And as we will see later, Jesus came to earth fully divine and fully human, and in his divinity and in his humanity, he felt. In his divinity and his humanity, he felt. And today, I hope you leave with a sense that the God we serve is one who feels with us, for us, and because of us. And he is capable of feeling and expressing emotions that we oftentimes would shame in ourselves or one another. Now, please don't hear me wrong. I believe it is possible to sin by allowing our emotions to overwhelm and rule us. It is possible that we can react out of our emotions instead of respond to them and to become consumed in a way where we harm one another or ourselves. I know that we maybe can all attest to that. But remember, we are made in the image of God and in his likeness. Therefore, emotions and feelings are not a byproduct of our brokenness, but they are a gift to us. 
They are not something to be ignored, nor shamed, nor pushed to the side. Now, of course, they have the ability to manifest themselves in a really broken way. Spend anywhere from an, an afternoon from the Disneyland to the DMV, and you and I both will be able to attest to that. <laughs> but what I mean by broken is when we act in a way where our emotions control us so much that they begin to harm instead of heal. Just like how creation is a gift to us, and our relationships are a gift, our emotions are also a gift, and are something to be treated with care. And so how do we begin to steward our emotions well? Now, I just said a word steward, which is kind of something that we use a lot in Christian culture. We talk about stewarding emo like all sorts of things well, like our church building and things like that. And I actually didn't know what steward meant um, until I started dating this guy named Jonathan, who happens to be really handsome and kind and sweet and also is a really big nerd if you don't already know this and he loves telling me origins of words like the word steward and so i'm going to tell you because it's actually really great and fits here so steward was someone in medieval times who used to their main duty was to rule kind of help manage the functioning of the kingdom so it moved, ran really smoothly really well um and so when I say that we need to steward our emotions well, I am suggesting exactly that. How do we learn to manage them and care for them in a way where they enhance our human experience and they don't like derail our human experience? Because I know I've had days where my emotions have derailed my entire day. <laughs> but you see, there's really good news, and I'm going to give you the news early, and that is that there is no emotion that we feel that God does not understand. And guess what? Jesus is a perfect example of what it means to feel and to steward this gift of emotion, being emotive beings, really well. We know that Jesus came to earth and he was fully divine and fully human and that he did not sin. While Jesus experienced the fullness of humanity, he was not consumed nor moved to sinful action. That's pretty amazing. And Jesus is our model of how we can strive to live in a way where we simultaneously feel fully, but don't get in a trap of reacting out of our emotions. And you guys, we're not going to do it perfectly. Uh-oh, connection. Oh, there we go. Um, but, but we can strive to do better. Um, and I think one of the perfect examples and most profound examples of this that Jesus gives us is right before he's betrayed into the hands of his enemies. And so, Luke 22, it reads, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not, not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Sorry about that. And praying more earnestly, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So this passage, right, this is, has a lot of emotion in it. And the first thing that I notice is that what Jesus was feeling was probably a lot of fear and anxiety. 
I'm imagining that he wouldn't have asked God to remove the cup if he was feeling like carefree and joyful about the whole thing, right? We also read a little bit further that an angel was sent to Jesus to strengthen him. But notice that after the angel appears, Jesus is in anguish and must pray more earnestly. This is when sweat becomes like drops of blood falling to the ground. I wonder if maybe it's because this fear that Jesus is feeling is starting to become a reality and he's realizing that maybe, maybe God's not going to remove this cup from him. But here's the good news is that the cup wasn't removed and that Jesus didn't allow whatever emotion, fear, anxiety, or any other type of emotion that he could have been feeling stop him from going to the cross. Jesus did not allow his emotions to stop him from doing the will of God. And in Jesus' final hour, he exclaims this phrase right here, one that's pretty heart-wrenching, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine to feel that. We hear that Jesus feels helpless, he feels abandoned, and he's asking God, where are you? What's amazing about this phrase is that Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 22, so a piece of scripture in the Old Testament. And the Psalms are often just a a collection of various poems, and some of them are joyful and full of praise and exclamation, while others are considered lament poems, which they express feelings such as despair, anger, and doubt. And this particular poem is a lament poem. We're going to actually read it here because we'll see that Jesus quoted it. Psalm 22 reads, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And once again, this poem, it captures the intensity of human, the human experience. And so we're given two really great examples, both the psalmist who wrote this sometime, he was feeling these emotions, and then also Jesus when he quotes it, right? And so the question is, what do we do when we feel? We first and foremost enter the presence of God. Now, God is always present, but we like intentionally enter enter his presence because the presence of God will bring conviction to our emotion. The reality is, though, sometimes that conviction may not be always what we want, just kind of like when Jesus prays in the garden and the angel is sent to him. When we bring our emotions to God, he may not actually remove them, but he does give us the strength to work through them. And the thing is, our emotions tell us something. They tell us something about ourselves and about others, and they are a pathway to healing and they're a pathway to the conviction of God. I have said earlier that our emotions are a gift to us, and they are. They're they're what make us feel alive. But they don't exist just for us. And so sometimes this healing and conviction we experience in the face of God can give us strength to move into action, just like how Jesus was faithful to go to the cross. And what Jesus did was really tough. I mean, really tough. But I think what we can do is start with this. We can start with empathy. And empathy is 
very different than just sympathy. Because empathy means to actually feel what another person feels. So I am a huge fan of a woman named Brene Brown. She's a famous author, writer, speaker, researcher. She's done a ton of research on shame and vulnerability. Has written some great books. I could give you a whole list if you want to you know, ask me about it. I think she's amazing. Um, but she has done this. She has this little bit on empathy. And, and she actually talks about empathy including the following steps. And so one, it includes perspective taking. So it means taking another person's perspective as truth and as their truth, which requires us to do the second step, which is to not judge, which is oftentimes very challenging, right? Three, it requires us to recognize the emotion of the other. So whatever the other person is feeling, it requires us to recognize that. And then three, to actually communicate that emotion. I'm sense that... I'm sensing that you're maybe feeling embarrassed or I'm sensing that maybe you're feeling sad. Is that true? It's actually saying it, communicating it to someone. And she talks about how empathy is being able to feel with people and how this is actually a choice and it's a really vulnerable choice. And the reason it's vulnerable is it requires us to connect with that same emotion that we're sensing that they're feeling inside of ourselves. And so we don't necessarily need to have had the same experience as someone, but as long as we're able to recognize maybe an emotion that they have felt and that we have felt in our life, it requires us to actually go there. Now, what happens if we spend our whole lives ignoring our emotions, pushing them to the side? I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to feel that, so I'm just going to push it to the side. Well, first of all, we never get the chance to allow God to meet us in our emotions to heal us, to be with us in that, and then we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to feel with another person. Let's use the emotion of anger to illustrate this point just a little further, because anger, I think, is kind of a common one that we talk about in church. So anger doesn't exist so that we can just sit in our anger and eventually explode or harm other people with it, right? We know that anger has the ability to harm. I'm sure that we've harmed others with it or others have harmed us. But anger also has the ability to teach us something. It can teach us what hurts. It can teach us maybe what we're fearing. And it can help us see what maybe is not right in this world. And the reason I say this is because did you know that anger is actually a secondary emotion to either fear or pain? Now, I don't know how many of us think about that every time we get angry, right? When someone makes us mad or a situation we feel angry about. I don't know if that's the first thing we think about, but what if we did? What if first we entered the presence of God and we communicated, God, I'm angry. I'm actually really upset about this thing because he can handle it. Remember, he feels, he knows what it feels like. And then two, what if we asked ourselves this question or asked our Heavenly Father, ask ourselves and ask God either, God, what hurts? Or what am I afraid of in this situation? Because remember, anger tells us something. It maybe tells us that something's not right, something is not just. And the thing is, understanding our emotions a little bit better and having God walk through that with us can help us to manage our emotions a lot better. And this something, right, that's upsetting us may be a past hurt in our lives that we still need to kind of work through, maybe a past relationship or something that happened at work or... 
Um, this something could be maybe a threat to our own self-interest, like when someone cuts us off the freeway and then we have to ask ourselves, why do I feel so entitled to the road? And we can ask God that. Why am I feeling this way? <laughs> I feel that way sometimes too, don't worry. <laughs> or this something may be a true injustice in our world, right? Like a system of privilege that, that is, is, is hurting people or pushing people out. When I think about all this, I'm reminded that a week ago today, we woke up and heard of an incredible tragedy. We heard about the Orlando shooting, and when I woke up yesterday, last, yesterday, last Sunday, I was a big ball of emotion. I was first shocked, I couldn't believe it, but then I started to feel emotions of anger, grief, sadness, fear, helplessness. I don't know about you, but it was this painfully horrible reminder that our world is just not right. A group of people who were made in the image and likeness of God were taken from their friends and family because of an act of hatred. And my heart burned, and words are just insufficient, aren't they? And as the day and this week has passed, and stories have continued to unfold, and pain and hurt has been shared, I have become increasingly aware of our need to be the kind of people that know how to feel with people. As the church and the body of Jesus Christ, we have to be the kind of people that know how to feel with people. The word compassion, it has its root in the word patty, which is a Latin word for suffering. The passion of Jesus was that he went to the cross for us. He suffered for us. The passion of Jesus teaches us what it looks like to be people of compassion and of empathy to be able to feel with people, and to be willing to suffer with people. The thing is, we don't need to first provide answers or solutions or caveats or disclaimers. I don't know if you remember the story when Jesus is called on by Mary and Martha with their sick brothers, Lazarus. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and Lazarus is already dead. And what's the first thing that Jesus does? He weeps. Now, Jesus knew that he was eventually going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He had the solution, right? But Jesus had the emotional maturity and the emotional depth to know that it was more important that he felt with people opposed to provide solutions. Emotions took precedence over solutions. People in our world need the emotional depth and perfect presence of Christ. People need connection and comfort, and we must be willing and vulnerable enough to be a body of believers who have emotional depth and maturity. And just like anything else in this world, this takes practice. It's something that we're all capable of. It's not some magical gift. It's something that we can practice together. And the thing is, Jesus can help give us the power to be able to do it. He could raise Lazarus from the dead, so I think he can give us the power to be empathetic with others. Now, I know that there may be some of you who feel maybe pretty numb. Maybe the world has been pretty tough or pretty hard on you, and you have built a lot of walls up in your heart because feeling just makes things too complicated. And I get it. I don't want to diminish that. You know, John's been talking about pain recently, and so I, I, I get it. But both you and I know deep down that that's not the life that Jesus calls us to, both for your sake and for the world's sake. 
So the movie of Inside Out, it ends with actually Riley being so disheveled that she ends up running away from home. And she's on the bus about to go who, who knows where. And there's this beautiful scene where joy and sadness end up back kind of in the control center of Riley's brain. And Joy's been trying to control most of Riley's life. She doesn't want her to feel sad. But she finally looks at sadness and she says, sadness, you have to save Riley. You have to be the one that saves her. And there's this beautiful moment where, you know, sadness puts her hand on the control center and it all turns blue because, you know, she's blue and sad. And it's almost like a light bulb clicks in Riley's brain and she jumps off off the bus and she runs home into her parents' concerned arms. And for the first time, she expresses to them, Mom, Dad, I feel sad. I don't feel happy. And I miss Minnesota. And you know what her parents do? They respond with empathy and they say, Riley, it's okay. You don't have to be happy. And, and guess what? I miss Minnesota too. I, I miss the lake and I miss, I miss my friends. And then there's this moment where they just hug and there's this awesome connection. And we see that this moment of sadness has actually turned to joy. But you know, like I said, this is, this is not easy. I mean, I love talking about this kind of thing, but I struggle with it too. You know, recently, about two months ago, my mom had to have surgery, and she's okay. It was a minor surgery, but I was really scared, and I was feeling all sorts of emotions that I did not want to face. <laughs> and I had told my, my staff that I was going to be gone for a day to go help, and I was leaving my apartment, and one of my RAs comes out, and she's like, hugs me, and she stops, and she goes, Rhi, how you doing? And it's like, I couldn't stop myself. I started to cry. And I you know, preach this all the time, but I start to apologize. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I realized I hadn't cried in front of any of my, the students I supervised yet because I wanted to be strong. And she looked at me and she goes, Re, I am just as comfortable with your tears as I am with your laughter. And that stuck with me, and I think it always will. And I think that's a lot of times what Jesus is, and God is saying to us, he's saying, my child, I'm just as comfortable with your anxiety as I am with, with, your, with your joy, or I'm just comfortable with your fear as your sadness. I'm just as comfortable with it all, but bring it to me. I, I want to be with you in that. And so as the worship team comes back up, I encourage everyone to just spend a few moments just maybe reflecting on, like, what am I feeling right now? Like, do, we, do I know what kind of emotions are running through me now? And, you know, maybe this is a question that you don't usually ask yourself, um, but I encourage you to ask, ask it right now. And ask your Heavenly Father, what, what, do, what do I feel right now? And, you know, I encourage you to ask him if there's any action that you should take. Um, maybe it means making a phone call to a loved one that you know is going through something really difficult. You've kind of avoided calling because you don't want to enter into that with them. But maybe you, you make that phone call. Or maybe it means finally setting up that counseling appointment that you've been avoiding for years. But to start, talk, start to talk about this, start to develop some, some emotional maturity or depth. Maybe it means to ask God right now to heal some wounds that you've had that stop you from feeling, some things that make you feel kind of numb. Just ask him to, to allow you to feel again. Whatever it may be, though, I, I pray that God would meet you in that. You know, as I've been thinking about the fact that it's Father's Day, um, I've been thinking a little bit about my dad, and, you know, every single time it's a holiday, a birthday, anything, and I give him a card, literally as he starts to open the seal, the floodgates start rolling. <laughs> 
<laughs> he can't keep it together. And he's like a wrestling coach. He looks like Jesse Ventura, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he just starts crying. And as I was thinking about this sermon and today, I was thinking about how one of the reasons my dad's such a good dad is because he is a feeler. And that's our Heavenly Father. So we don't have to be afraid to go with him with all of our emotions. So let me pray for us and then the worship team can go ahead and get started. Um, God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the fact that you created us with feelings and emotions and that they are part of what makes us alive, God. Um, Thank you for this gift that you've given us and thank you that this gift can actually affect the world, Lord. I pray that that you would just be working in each one of um, our hearts, God, and that you would be teaching us more what it looks like to manage our emotions well, Lord. But first of all, would we just bring those emotions to you honestly and and raw? They don't have to be fixed or put together, but we would just bring them to you, Lord. And um, God, I I pray that uh, whatever should stick, Lord, would stick, um, that your spirit would be speaking still into this week and the rest of the day. Um, And Lord, thank you so much for this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.